0: Words in Welcome to the Words in Chalk podcast. I'm 76, one third of the Words in Chalk gang. Uh, we also have Jake Nathan Creates and Aaron Shrimpton, uh, two wonderful poets, wonderful human beings. Usually on this podcast, Jake and I like to waffle and drag ourselves through an episode talking about stuff we've barely researched. But on this occasion, much like last time, we've invited an actual decent poet to perform one of their pieces and then break it down afterwards. It's quite exciting. This week, we have Sven Steers, who's a super poet, Uh, some outstanding work. He just released an EP with some beats underneath his words, which is fantastic, and also an EP with three tracks from myself with him speaking over. Um, They're both great. Go and check them out, um, but I'm going to stop talking and let Sven do the work for this week. So enjoy, guys. See you soon. See you See you soon. soon. We're oh.
1: <laughs> Ever since the age of ten, I've been able to pick clocks. It's, it's a weird skill to have, but I still remember the day I learnt how to break into my house in under 30 seconds. My dad came home from a computer fair of all places with lockpick kits in a black leather one. In it was a filed-down allen key called a torque wrench and a lumpy metal stick called a bumper pick. The trick is to apply torsion to the tumbler whilst raking the pins on the inside, then turn and click. Scarily easy, really as easy as a memory well some of them the good ones that we had were so few and far between like when I was three, my first time at the beach, you and mum were play in the sea and I had no idea who you were, I thought a stranger was attacking my mother my cries formed sound castles with tear duct moats and like the ocean bleaches driftwood in reverse you found your first place in my mind Storm bringer, bearer of the belt buckle, giver of the something to cry about. When you headbutted me to the floor, there was no more water stored, it was shock. Flooding from my eyes. When you tried to choke me out, I stared you down and waited for the calm ten years later, and I am still waiting. I have shelved my expectations along with childhood knickknacks, breakup letters from ex girlfriends, in the hope that we could both be better men. The rage that pumped in your fists now flows in my veins. My heart punches at the world like the street fights of a teenage you, misspent youth, all blood and dirt and grit, and get up again. They can't beat it out of you. You can't beat it out of me, a fortress stands here now, proud of the day I stepped down the barrel of your gun and saw a man as weak as me trying to prove the nothingness underneath. It's no surprise we came up as empty as the homes we'd leave. I can count them on, well, both our hands. Just. Stacked boxes and empty rooms covered in dust and us. Fish and chips on the floor Waiting for one more removals man To take us to the house that we followed you to I have always followed you From pillar to post, from bottle to battle Like that time we beat the guy black and blue That bottled you in that bar fight And despite the nerve now trapped in your cheek We smiled about it for weeks Like it was proof this blood ran deep Like one shared deed could erase the years I'd spent painting monsters into you Truth is, didn't need to you had monsters of your own stitched into your panorama over 40 hours on Goose Green and every battle since. The ones you fought in silence. The ones that left shadows under your eyes. The ones that everyone missed. I wish I had done more to see the no man's land growing between us with pock-marked angry words that wish to be poppy fields and olive branches. So here it is, my confession. I have never been the perfect son. A bruised mess, made in your image, with, you know, an extra little smudge of forgiveness. I came here to burn grudges and hold bridges. I've my own house now, and I know you can pick the locks, because you taught me how. But call me. Let's say sorry properly. And you can have the spare key. So the poem that I want to talk about is Lockpicks. And it's it's a really important poem to me, which I guess is why it features in, you know, not just my book, This is a Tragic Backstory, but on both of my EPs, the way and The Torch uh, and also uh, was, was remixed really by 76 for the 76 mixtape I think it's, it's massively important for me, I'm happy to talk about that in a second, but I think it's, it also resonates a lot with other people uh, and I think that's also kind of at the core of one of my beliefs as a poet I think as poets we are, or can be, really guilty of kind of forgetting why we write uh, and who we are writing for and i think a lot of that is kind of justified in terms of a sort of like an, an arrogance as well like people i've heard poets say you know i don't really care what an audience thinks of my poem i'm not writing for them i'm writing for me and i think that is kind of a very healthy outlook but only to a degree I've heard poets use that kind of mode of thinking as a justification for ignoring their audience as well. And if you do that, it can lead to a few different things, kind of um, a lack of success being one of those sort of big... Uh, flaws, in that if you're only writing for you, if you're only writing really complex verses that you deliver really quickly, then no one's going to understand what you're saying and, and, and you're not going to get in an audience for that and you're going to get disheartened and probably stop writing or continue writing but never really experiencing any kind of uh, success, and success is weird in itself, like it's a fluid metric, but you know you know what I mean, people aren't going to listen to your stuff and that will uh, hurt, <laughs> I guess, Um if you're not truly writing for yourself, and only for yourself. Uh, And the other thing is that it leads you to not consider the impact of your words upon other people, and that's a really important part of writing, and one of the kind of um, problems I see in the world of fun poetry a lot, we stand on stage and deliver these massively emotional poems and, and kind of blackmail an audience into feeling sorry for us so they'll vote for us and win this, what, five minutes on the spotlight? And that's not healthy for the performer or the audience. That's just kind of a bit mean, if anything. But um, it's, yeah, I, th- I think, right, considering who you're writing for and, 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 and wanting to, to impact people and share a story is at the core of writing uh, Maya Angelou uh, famously said um, they'll forget your name they'll forget what you said but they'll remember how you made them feel and I think that's why when it comes to my writing there's always like an intrinsic happy, hopeful volta at the end or even in the middle of the piece there needs to be this emotional rollercoaster that you journey that you take people on that is sad but is happy does leave them with hope and I think one of the best performers I've seen for, for sort of Leaving their audiences with a sense of hope is probably um, Malaika Gode from Bristol, well, from the South West, but living in Bristol, who at the end of their set now says, you know, this was a sad part of my life that I've spoken about. I'm OK, I'm happy now. Things are better for me, please don't feel sorry, but talk to me if you want to talk to me about the issues that I've spoken about, which is a really beautiful way of handling kind of the trauma of what a lot of our poems talk about, um, but I've gone massively off topic, like I'm not talking about lockpicks anymore, um, lockpicks is kind of a, a, a traumatic experience for me, uh, and then it's based on a real story, like my dad literally came home when I was 10 with a lockpick kit, there's no metaphor there, no, no grand kind of uh, visual scheme, this is a thing that happened. Um, and my first memory is also absolutely true, that's that's a thing and what I've done is I've taken these real life events and poetified them, which is a horrible verb um, not a real one um, but that's the, the process and the process of actually sort of like finding that inspiration is, is a journey of, of self-discovery for me sobriety plays a big part in my ability to be a poet and to perform but the so that that sort of and sobriety isn't just not drinking it is a process of self-improvement and self-discovery but that said like I think I started this poem when I was still drinking when I was still you know, in a unhealthy relationship with my dad and um kind of only sort of found the real meaning and, and flow of the poem once I'd sorted myself out and, Analyzed my relationship with my dad. By that point, you know my relationship with my dad was unsalvageable. I think, and probably still is to this day, unsalvageable. Uh, my mum uh, recently heard this poem. My parents were separated, but uh, when she heard it played on Radio Six, um, and you know, had a very heart-to-heart conversation with them about my relationship with my dad. Uh, and so, there's obviously still unhealed—getting oh, the text, sorry—unhealed um, trauma there. So it's not perfect, but um, it is something that I have put a lot of time into fixing and and figuring out. The poem comes from a genuine place, if if you sort of listen to the poem at the end, where it says that, you know, all Dad has to do is pick up the phone and apologise properly. uh, then that's true. Like, I am open to a relationship with my Dad, provided I feel my needs are being met. And I don't mean, like, massively complicated needs. I mean that, you know, he has to understand what he did to hurt me. And I probably have to apologize now for things that I've realized that I've done again part of that AA process of making amends and and realising the wrongs that we wrought during during our drinking. But it's it's all very, very genuine. Uh, And and the writing process itself, for me, like I I will I have a formulaic process when I write. I I will have the inspiration, I have something I want to write about. Uh, And this isn't saying that I don't write outside of this process. If inspiration happens, inspiration happens, what are you gonna do? Just sit and right um but this poem I think definitely fell into that that process that I have where I'll have that initial nugget kernel whatever you to call it idea the thing that takes the page from a blank one to one filled with spider scrawl uh and that's you know the the, talking about a poem with my dad and I think I came up with this idea I already had some ideas of metaphors I wanted to use some imagery some some stuff going in. I think the line about um, the, the, the driftwood uh, being bleached by ocean water in reverse was one of those initial images. And so I'll sit down, I've got like a six foot, I won't sit down, I'll stand up, but I've got a six foot by four foot whiteboard I will stand in front of and create like a, a mind map or a spider diagram. whatever term you want to use for that, and, and start jotting these ideas down. And then sort of off those ideas come new ideas, come ideas for sentences and languages I want to use. And, and off those um, words I want to use, i come up with synonyms and, and phonemes and rhyme schemes and all that kind of stuff. And I'll mind map that uh, and sit in front of it let it gestate. And as I feel the urge to write, like coming hard, that's the process. And then once that's done and it's percolated for a while, then I will rub it clean. Uh, maybe take a photo, <laughs> otherwise... Because my memory's terrible. Um, I will take a photo and, and mull it over. And then uh, uh, I will start writing. And the the process for writing, again, is is quite strict. Uh, I will stand in front of this whiteboard, I'll turn it tall ways, so it's like a side of A4, and I will write a line on it. And then I, I will uh, continue off of that and, and write next line, next line, next line. And because it's a whiteboard, which is kind of inherently malleable as a form to write on... You can just rub things off. You don't have to scroll them out or find tipex or, 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 or sit in something as, as businessy as a, in front of a computer. because I, I find computers kind of inhibiting of the creative process, like walking around gets the blood flowing, uh, sitting down less so. So I'll do that and I'll rub words out and I'll change if, if a meter doesn't fit or a word doesn't fit, there's a better phoneme or a better rhyme or, or, or a way to increase the number of rhymes in a sentence, I will do that. And I think that's probably most evident probably in a different poem of mine. Um, Old Street, New Town, where the, the first sort of three standards are very rhyme heavy, you can hear it. Um, we were typed to bites bikes when our child in the States, constantly plotting to run from home and escape. But who are we kidding? We had everything a, a picture perfect painting on Middle England of bulldogs and terriers terrorizing pedestrians, or a muddle of muddy clothes in the throes of a play fight, or a wording dervish immersed in a skirmish in earnest. It's perfect, like it's all there, it's packed in, it's tight. And that's because of that process. But lockpicks are less rhyme-heavy, like more more part, but still there are hidden rhymes and half-rhymes and feminine rhymes and and stuff in the poem from going through that process. And uh, I think it comes... Look, one side of this whiteboard is a side of A4, and, and three sides of A4 is three minutes of poetry performed, roughly give or take. And so you can also kind of track a three-point story arc on those pages. Page one is turn one, page two is turn two, page three is turn three, and then if you want to go for a five-act story, you can include turns halfway through page one and page three. And that's kind of the theory behind it. Uh, and, you know, that, that last page of A5, uh, of A4, that last part of uh, the fifth act on page three, gives you a, a really good opportunity for for a volta. and in the terms of um uh, Lockpicks, which is exactly three sides of A4 plus two lines. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, that volta starts appearing halfway down the page, where you know I realise that my dad has his own demons, has fought his own wars, literally, um, and he's come out a different person because of that. And me realising that I am his son, like I, I, I share some of those scars and scars of my own, um, and I've dealt with them in similar other ways. With with anger and, and unhealthy coping mechanisms, and only now I'm realizing that and changing my behaviors, and, and then I invite him to change his behaviors and, and turn the card and, and literally turn the bolt of let the shoe drop, and that's you know lockpicks in a ten minute nutshell. <laughs> um, that's that's it. And once those sort of sides of a a4 are done on the whiteboard, I can transcribe them to paper. Or directly to the computer and continue editing then. Once you've performed it a few times and learnt it, that's when the real changes become apparent. Like, it will sound right the first time you've read it, but after you've read it a hundred times and you've memorised it, you'll realise, well, you're tripping over parts that you can't memorise or, or, or fall on the tongue wrong, the mouthfeel of the word or sentence is wrong, and you can make those changes and go back to the computer and edit it. Um, and that's... That's the process. That's the way you write. Uh, Inspiration itself will come from anywhere. Um, It can be, you know, the way light is drappled on a pavement, or a weed that's in a strange place and looking strong, or or something your friend said to you. Um, There's a a quote that I'm gonna butcher. but, and I can't remember who said it, uh, so forgive me. But it's this is for you guys to find out and come come back to me with. Uh, it says that the job of an artist is to to keep to look at the world with wonder, keep open, and then write about it. And I think that's where inspiration comes from, uh, as poets, as as fiction writers, as screenwriters, whatever it is that you're writing or painting or whatever, as creatives. The job is to sort of keep the wanderlust. Of a childhood mind, however tempered by and, and jaded by adulthood, the writing will end up being. You have to look at things around you with stars in your eyes, a little bit. Um, like, uh, there's uh, so many times that I've, I've been sort of uh, you know in uh, on tour or, or at a gig or something, and, and someone said something a little bit snarky snide or, or witty or, or an anecdote's been told and someone sort of taps you on the shoulder and goes, you can write a story about that, you write a poem about that, and it's like, no, no I can't, there's, there's no magic in that, it's just a thing that happens to us. Um, but that's our job, that's our job as, as creatives, is to find the magic and then find the formulas behind the magic, like what the actual spell was, and then write it down in our own voice. Not the same voice that everyone else uses. I think that's something a lot, a lot of poets might forget: is that you know that their, their job is also to find their voice. Like when I started writing, I was a carbon copy, a shit carbon copy, <laughs> but a carbon copy nonetheless of like you know Buddy Wakefield and other poets that inspired me. Uh, and I think that's an important part of the process of becoming a better poet: it is to it's to latch on to other people that came before you and did it way better because you'll, you know, inherit some of those good traits and as long as you go through the cognizant process of, like, losing a lot of the, of the chaff and, and, and the things that made them them and inserting your voice into those gaps and that is absolutely part of uh, being a writer as well. I, I, I think, like, you, you folks, I, I kind of... I grew up on listening to, to hip-hop uh, uh, and hip-hop, not rap, definitely hip-hop. Like, I think I missed... Real rap and, and quite unquote real rap, like the, the, the progenitors and the, what a lot of people would say the starting point of rap was. Um, you know, I I listened to a lot of indie hip hop, things like Sage Francis, Buck 65, Rhyme Says, Anticon, like that was my launch pad. you know, like a tribe called Quest and, and stuff like that as well. Like boom Bap, was probably where I started out. And then for, once I found Sage Francis, I found Buddy Wakefield and I was away. And that's kind of My starting point. So I think that's definitely influenced my writing and how I write, like that at that launch point. Um, I didn't come in through poetry. I I think doing that and coming out through that has enabled me to sort of shed the skin of pretension that a lot of poets and poetry has, but left me frustrated that poetry is seen that way because it's not the way it is for me, Um, and not the way it is for a lot of my friends and a lot of poets that I know. So yeah, that's my, my, my mission I guess is, And what I want people to, to do Is to push the boundaries Not get stuck in slam Not get stuck in whatever it is Push the boundaries, keep going Keep growing, keep changing shit Keep building stuff um, and, and You know, don't worry about the mission The vision will Make itself apparent And that's it, that's the goal Yeah that said you know follow me on Instagram <laughs> it's all about likes and followers really <laughs> um, yeah there you go um, I hope you guys listened to, to, to lockpicks, uh, the lockpicks the, 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 the Chris Beale version on the, on the show it's Chris Beale did an amazing job with it It's a wonderful composer um, and then you should definitely totally listen to the 76 version. This is one of the fascinating things about these sort of projects I'm doing. This is way over the 10 minutes you guys told me to talk. Um, is that once you hand over the creative process to someone else, like 76, like 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 uh, Chris, Chris Fox, and say, yeah, "This is my thing. This is my art. Go do what you want with it." And then watching how someone inher- in, in, interprets that art and does their own thing with it, takes it in their own way, their own angle then. That's where the—that's a beautiful part of the process. Like it completely changes the meaning of the piece. Um, yeah. So, you know, go, yeah. Just, just don't do the podcast. Just do, do an entire show with just me.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, um, yeah. That's that's like 17 minutes. That's so I'm going to sign off. And, and so yeah. I hope you guys and your audience enjoy the enjoy the piece. Have a great
0: day.